First Thessalonians chapter 5. Last week we ended chapter 4 talking about the return of the Lord. And Paul starts out in chapter 5 by reminding us it's not about setting dates. There's always been a preoccupation with trying to nail down exactly when the Lord's coming back. And the Bible clearly teaches us that we are not to worry about setting dates. We are just to prepare ourselves or always to be prepared for the return of the Lord because we don't know when the Lord is coming back. So that's why he writes in verse 1, Now on the topic of times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come in the same way as a thief in the night. See, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming. We know the Bible teaches that we can know the seasons and that the season of the Lord's return could certainly be here right now. But God doesn't want us focused on setting dates. He wants us focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he wants us to live in such a way that we are always prepared for the Lord's return no matter when it will happen. That's why he is urging us here in this passage of scripture to live as sons and daughters of the light. Again, to lay aside any lethargy or complacency or apathy in our lives and to truly live by practice who we are by position in Christ. That's why in verse Three, he reminds us that Jesus Christ is our only refuge from what is coming on this earth. For he says, when they are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will surely not escape. Folks, when the events begin to unfold upon this earth, it's like trying to reverse you know, the baby coming once it starts to come. It's not going to happen. The events will unfold. And, and you, you, you and I may, might think that the world is in pretty bad shape right now and, and that the struggles and trials of life are pretty intense right now. But the Bible tells us that there's coming a time on this earth that is unparalleled from any time in human history and that the only refuge for that time, the only refuge from that time is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the only refuge. He is the only one that we can feel safe and secure in. He he is the ark. He is, he is the picture of the ark in the Old Testament. There was only one ark that was going to save those people from the flood to come. There was only one door to that ark. And Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, but by him. He needs to be our refuge. He needs to be our stability. He needs alone to be our security in this life. And then he goes on to tell us in verse 4, But you brothers and sisters are not in the darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief would. But, he says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So he, he's simply saying, stay alert. Stay spiritually alert. Stay vigilant. Walk in the light. Be children of light. Walk in the light of God's love. Walk in the light of God's word. But walk and live as the children of light. Walk in clarity, not in confusion. Don't walk in cloudiness. But be the children of light that God has called us to be. That God has saved us to be. Let's not be involved with the darkness any longer. 
For many of us, we've lived enough of our days in the darkness. That Now He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let's live the rest of our days in His light and bask in His light and live in His light and shine His light to all around us who need to see the light. For verse 7 reminds us that those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. And it simply is reminding us that night is this picture. Or darkness is this picture of when people try to hide their activity. That if they're doing something that they're ashamed of or that, that they, they don't want others to know about, when do they do it? They do it at night under the cover of darkness And God doesn't want His children to ever live that way. He doesn't want us to live in shame anymore anyway. He's called us to a higher life that we don't need to be ashamed of anymore. That we shouldn't be living our lives doing shameful things. But we should be living transparently in the light. Not hiding anything for all to see. And God wants us to live that way. As if we are living before Him anyway. We can't hide anything from God. God sees everything that we do. He knows everything that we think. We simply need to live transparently before Him and before others and not live our lives trying to hide in the darkness. We are engaged, verse 8 reminds us, in spiritual conflict. Therefore, it is imperative like soldiers in conflict that we stay clear-headed. Notice, he says, since we are of the day, we must stay sober. By putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet our hope for salvation. First of all, he's reminding us that we are involved in conflict. That's why we've got to put on the breastplate. That's why we've got to put on the helmet. But notice here that God supplies us with all the resources we need, but we must personally apply them to our lives. God's not going to force the helmet on us. He's not going to force the breastplate on us. He's given us all the resources. He's given us all the armor. He's given us all the equipment we need. But it's up to us to take it up and to, in a sense, personally appropriate it to our lives. And God is calling forth His church, His soldiers of the cross. And He's asking us to rise up in this conflict that we find ourselves in. See, I I think that Satan doesn't know everything, obviously. He's not God at all. But Satan is a pretty intelligent being. And I think Satan and the demons of hell know that their time is short. That pretty soon they're going to be locked up into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then one day thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. And I think that they're trying to do as much damage, cause as much trouble, make as many inroads into the church and into people's lives and into this world as they can before Jesus comes and his kingdom comes on this earth. And that means that it behooves us as the children of God to make sure that we stay seriously committed to Jesus Christ. This is no time and age and and history of the world for us as Christians to lay down our arms, to get lazy about our lives, to get spiritually complacent, to live a lukewarm, half-committed Christian life. This is not the time in history to do that. This is a time in history for the church to rise, for the church to pray, for the church to be alert, and for all of us to be serious about our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the armor of God every day. He reminds us in verse 9 that the destiny of the believer in Jesus Christ and the unbeliever is quite different. That God promises deliverance for His people before these unparalleled events come upon the earth. 
For God did not destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, Paul's reminding them and reminding us that Jesus died for us so that we might truly live. I mean really live. That eternal life is not, again, a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. And when you and I totally surrender our lives to God and get serious about our commitment to Christ, then is when we will truly, truly be alive. I had an entire family in my office this afternoon. They basically said, Jeff, we have lived our whole life for the wrong things. And and it's time now for us to turn our lives over to the Lord and to begin to live for the Lord. We realize that all the things that we were wrapping our, our lives around in this world didn't satisfy, brought no lasting fulfillment at all. We want that life that Jesus has. And, and folks, that's what people are finding out. That, that as much of this world that, that they can grab, there is no satisfaction and lasting fulfillment in that. Life is found in Jesus Christ. And if you and I truly want to experience life at the highest level both life on earth and the life to come. It's all about just centering our life in Jesus Christ. He is our life. And then Paul, verse 11, calls the church to use all of this information and teaching once again, just like he did last week about the rapture, for ministry. He says we should be seeking to build others up and to be built up. That's why he says, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are in fact doing. Folks, don't ever stop getting built up. Find ways that you can continue to be built up. Because again, we've all got to stay strong. And none of us can allow ourselves to get weak spiritually. We've got to stay in shape spiritually. We've got to stay strong spiritually. And and God wants to use our lives to encourage and build others up, but he also wants to build our lives up. In fact, before we can build up others and encourage them, we've got to allow God opportunities to build us up and encourage us so that our encouragement and our building others up comes from the overflow of what God is doing in our lives. So this information, again, is not just to soak it up. It's not just to lay up there in my head. It's to be used for ministry. The teaching of the Word of God and the information that God gives us in the Bible is to be used so that we can minister to others, so that we can comfort them, so that we can encourage them and build them up. Verse 12, Paul's saying, guys, we're in this all together. And I I love the fact that that you folks were in groups and, and praying and, and, and some holding hands and stuff. It reminds us of the solidarity that we should have as a church. That God has called us to be a unified church. We are to be one body because there is one spirit, one faith, one Lord, Paul says, one baptism, one God and Father of all, he says in the book of Ephesians. And we need to present a solid, unified front to our spiritual enemy. Because part of what gives him pleasure, Satan, is when he sees Christians divided, when he sees churches fighting, when he sees Christians fighting with each other. All he has to do is stand back and let it go because his work there is done. But the church and the people of God that causes fear and trepidation to Satan 
are the churches and the people of God and the groups of God's people that get together and say, we're in this together and we're going to walk hand in hand. We're going to stay hand in hand. And and Satan, you're not going to divide us. And we're going to come at you as one man, as one church, as one body in Christ. We are, you're not going to divide us. And that's why beginning in verse 12, he says, we ask you brothers and sisters, first of all, acknowledge those who labor among you and preside over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them most highly in love because of their work. All that could just be summed up this way. Support your leadership. Support your spiritual leadership. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Because the last thing spiritual leaders need to be doing is putting out fires with the people of God in church that pulls them away from the real focus of their calling, which is to teach, to preach, to to counsel, to to just encourage and whatever. And, and when pastors and spiritual leaders are being pulled away to try to, you know, calm down the saints of God who are at each other's throats, then that's pulling us away from what God... So God is saying, be at peace amongst yourselves. Live in unity so that all of us, whether we're spiritual leaders or whoever we are in whatever role we play in the church, that we can focus on the things God has called us to rather than Satan distracting us with all these little fires that always have to be put out. And then notice in verse 14, he reminds us that all of us, all of us have responsibility to our fellow believers for their spiritual well-being. And that God wants us to use the wisdom that he gives us to meet people where they are. Whatever their need is, we need the wisdom of God to meet them with what they need. That's why he says, listen, we urge you, brothers and sisters, verse 14, admonish the undisciplined. See, some people in the body of Christ need a little admonishment. Because they're living an undisciplined life. Not a disciplined life. And they need a little admonishment. But there are other people in the body of Christ who need comforted because they're discouraged. They're down and out. There are others who need help because they are weak. And he's not talking about physical weakness here. He's talking about spiritual weakness. Whether they're new Christians or, or they're just, they've never been rooted and grounded and built up in their faith. They're weak. And they're being shaken by the afflictions and things that are coming into their life. And they need help. Then we need to help. And notice he, he sort of, umbrellas it all by and be patient toward everybody boy how much could the church get along with each other if we were all just a little bit more patient with each other instead of being so short with each other but let's face it often we're short with each other we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt we're not as patient and long-suffering as we should be towards one another. We allow those things to get under our skin so easily and it begins to divide and distract the church from being the one man that can stand up against the attacks of Satan. Verse 15, God is calling us as his children to live on a higher plane than others. Therefore, we should not allow the way others treat us To bring us down to their level. That even though they may treat us hatefully and all of that. That we should not, in a sense, sink to their level. But stay above them through the example of Christ. So he says in verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil to anyone. Live at a higher level, folks. If someone 
is yelling and screaming at us, I always say that Christ can give me the power not to yell and scream back, to live a different level, to not return the way they're treating me back. Because then, how different am I? What difference is there with me? If, if, if I return the same thing that they're giving me, then what difference does Christ make in my life? What supernatural power am I exhibiting if I go right down to the level that they have treated me at? God calls us to a higher level. And then verse 15, God calls us to so pursue what is good that we have little time to devote to lesser things in our life. That God wants our life to be so laser focused on what he has called us to and on the good and godly things that he's calling us as his children to pursue. That we don't have time to get involved in the lesser things that drag us down and pull us away from Christ. Verse 16. Always, always rejoice. Folks, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is is an attitude that is produced by me yielding to the Holy Spirit and it has nothing to do with my circumstances. That's what shows that I can live life at a higher plane because my joy is not based on my circumstances. That's why I can always rejoice because there's always something I can rejoice in even if my circumstances are terrible. I can always find joy in God and who He is. I can always find joy in my relationship with God, which nothing on this earth, no circumstances, no matter what they are, can ever change that. See, I've got to look beyond my circumstances, and I've got to yield to the Holy Spirit, and I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to produce a joy in my life that nothing on this earth, no person on this earth, nothing can take away from me. It is there. It is always there. That's what God calls his children to. Notice verse 17, constantly pray. We should stay in constant, continual communication with God because it is in God's presence that you and I are strengthened. He changes us. Many times I've heard Christians say, why should I pray? You know, does prayer really, God knows what's going to happen, but why, why should I pray? Folks, First of all, if I didn't believe that prayer changed things, I wouldn't pray. I do. But also, the Bible teaches that prayer changes me as much as it changes my circumstances. And God may not choose to change my circumstances, but if I'm in the presence of God, He's going to change me and strengthen me to be able to deal with my circumstances. No human being can spend time in the presence of God and not be changed. We just can't. I mean, every human being that ever spent time in the presence of God was always changed. I mean, even think about the physical appearance that like Moses had when he spent time at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. God changed his heart and changed his mind because he was in his presence. And there is no human being that can spend time in the presence of God and not be changed when we spend there. That's why God always invites His children to spend as much time as we can in continual communication with Him. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's another one of those, this is God's will. 
Now notice the Bible doesn't say that we give God thanks for everything. Because there's a lot of things in life that we should not, could not be thankful for. There is no way that I can thank God for that tumor in little Kate. There's no way I can thank God for the tumor that's in Joel Lynn's little guy's spine. I can't thank God for the accident that Kira had and, and, and for that young man Kyle that's in a coma. I can't thank God for Rich and Lisa's little granddaughter and, and what she's going through. I don't, I don't thank God for it. But as a Christian, I have come to understand that I can give thanks in it because no matter what happens on earth, God overrules. You see, God has the last word. So that, that's why I can give God thanks in everything because my God is so great, so wise, so powerful, so beyond anything else because he is the creator of the heavens and earth and nothing is too hard for him that God can always bring something positive, something good, something of eternal value, something of, of eternal importance, even out of the most yucky, yuckest stuff that happens to us in our lives. That's why I can give God thanks in everything. If nothing else, think about just this last 24 hours right here at Cornerstone. All the yuck that went on in the last 24 hours, and yet more of us probably at Cornerstone have been praying and on our knees in the last 24 hours than we had the, first, the, the previous 24 hours. Nothing bad about Christians getting on their knees and praying. Nothing bad about the mind taking about 20 to 25 minutes and having us pray together. Nothing bad about that. That's good. And sometimes God has to wake us up and sometimes the things that we should always be doing that we just sort of slough off and take for granted, it's when crisis comes, it's when those hard times come that the church of God finally awakes and stops sleeping and arises and becomes the church that we should always be. But like in our own lives many times, it takes those crisis times to bring us to our knees. But if God has to use those times in his wisdom to bring us to our knees, so be it. Because that's where we should always be anyway. In everything, we can give God thanks. Verse 19, let the Holy Spirit of God continually ignite your life for him. Do not extinguish the Spirit. And one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is fire. And the Bible is teaching us that the Spirit of God wants to continue to keep this fire for God burning hot in our lives. That our, our spiritual life can be like a, a campfire. That if we don't keep putting wood on it in a positive way, it will go out. And the Holy Spirit wants to stir up that fire. Wants to keep putting the stick into the fire and, and putting more wood on it and, and stirring it around so that we keep our fire for God hot and at a high level. And all of us need that reminder because if we just allow ourselves, our fire is just going to start fading and fading. And that's one of the reasons why we need to get around other Christians who are on fire for God. That's why we need to get into Bible studies and allow the Spirit of God to take His Word and keep igniting that fire and turning up that fire for God. Let the Spirit of God unleash in your life tonight. 
Let the Spirit of God do whatever the Spirit of God wants to do. You won't regret it one day of your life. Verse 20, give the Word of God priority in your life. That's what he means by do not treat prophecies with contempt. Give the Word of God. And prophecy in the Bible is not just telling the future. That's what a lot of people think. The word prophecy simply means foretelling the truth of God. That many times we misunderstand that we, we just put the word prophecy in this little box and say, well, when we talk about prophecy, that's just people saying what's going to happen that hasn't happened yet. Most of the time when prophecy is used in the Bible, that's not what it means. It means foretelling the truth. And so when the Bible here talks about don't treat prophecies with contempt, he's just saying don't, don't put the word of God down. Keep the word of God high. Keep, keep it on a high level. Give it priority in your life. Let the word of God have priority in your life. But verse 21, whatever you hear, put it to the test. Don't just, don't just take it in. God wants his people to have discernment. So he says, examine all things, and then once you do find the truth, once you and I land on the truth, then hold firmly to the truth. Cling to it. Don't let go of it. The truth will set you free. So test it. Don't just take people's words for it. If a pastor or anybody else, that's not what it is. Compare what we say with the Word of God. But once you've made the determination in your life it's true, then tenaciously hold on to it. And no matter, verse 22, how it's presented, how it's packaged, or who presents it, have nothing to do with what is false. Stay away from every form of evil. Remember, the Bible says that Satan can come at us as an angel of light. His ministers can come at us like angels of light. So sometimes the reason why Christians get duped is because we're looking at the way it's packaged. We're looking at how it's presented, and we automatically say, oh, it's good, right? No. Again, we've got to have discernment. And no matter how Satan comes at us, no matter how he packages it, we've got to be careful of his schemes, and we've got to reject it if it's false at all. Folks, God wants us in verse 23 to experience his peace. All of us desperately want to experience peace in this world in which we live. Can I just tell you that the way you and I experience peace is by surrendering our life to God. God wants all of us. So I'm asking you tonight as I ask myself, let go of whatever you and I are holding on to. Because notice that the God of peace wants all of us. That's why Paul says in verse 23, he talks about our spirit, our soul, and our body. Because he wants it all. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we get all of Him, but He doesn't necessarily get all of us. We hold parts of our life back. We hold rooms in our life back from God. And throughout our spiritual growth and life with God, God is going to knock on those doors and say, Can I come into that area of your life? Can I have that part of your life? Because I want to be Lord of all. I want to have everything. I want total surrender of my people. Because it's only when we are totally surrendered to God and give it all to God and stop fighting against God and stop holding back do we truly experience the peace that passes all understanding. Folks, He is the God of peace. Verse 24, He's faithful. And God will never give up on us. No matter how much we fail, 
No matter how much we turn our back on Him, God never gives up on us. He will continue to pursue us. He will never get tired of pursuing us. He loves us unconditionally. God can love you no more than He ever has. God can love you no less than He ever has. God will always love you, and He is trustworthy. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will, in fact, Paul said, do this. Verse 25. So Paul says, pray for others. And have others pray for us. And folks, can I just say, I love you, I love you, I love you for your devotion to the Lord and to the Word of God. But I, I also know that you folks are prayer warriors. You, you guys pray. And that's part of the reason why Brian and I wanted to do what we did tonight. Because we know that many of you, many of you pray. And, and, and I know that I can, like last Tuesday night, I know that I can ask for prayers for Sunday And I felt those prayers in those five services Sunday because I know that the miners were praying for me on Sunday. Thank you for your prayers. Pray for each other. Pray. Ask, Ask others to pray for you. That's exactly what Paul's doing. Don't be ashamed to ask people to pray. It's one of the best things that we can do. It's one of the strongest things that we can do is to ask others to pray and then affirm one another. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. It simply means verbalize your affection, show your affection for one another in a proper and pure way as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no room for impurity in the body of Christ, but we need to affirm one another. We need to lock arms with each other. We need to remind each other as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are in this together And if you're going through a struggle, then I'm going through a struggle. The Bible says if one weeps, we all weep. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. And there again it gets back to that solidarity that the church needs to have in order to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul then says, as he ends this letter in verse 27, this letter isn't for a select few. It is for all believers. And he ends this powerful letter of 1 Thessalonians by reminding us that the grace of God is is enough. We sing about his grace, his wonderful grace, his amazing grace, his matchless grace, his sufficient grace. And Paul wants to end this letter to the Thessalonians just reminding them that whatever you and I face, whatever you and I go through individually, as a church, as a family, whatever it is, his grace is enough. Live his grace. Live in his grace. Call upon his grace. Seek his grace. Pray for His grace. Go to the throne of grace and find that grace when we need it. But folks, His grace is enough. I want to thank all of you for being here this summer and for going through this wonderful book of 1 Thessalonians. I have so enjoyed sharing it with you. And and folks, I know it's going to be seven weeks till the mind starts back up on August the 18th. But don't forget that date. And just know that I will be studying very diligently for the, all that's going on this fall, and, and that uh, my heart, even though we may be physically apart for a while, that my heart and my mind will be with you folks this summer. Have a wonderful and blessed summer. Thank you all for being here. Let's close in a word of prayer tonight, shall we? God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the one who is stronger and greater than anyone or anything, Lord, that we'll ever face. And Lord, even though we truly believe that we are being attacked specifically, satanically right now, as a staff, as a church, that God, we know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
that his kingdom is not a forever kingdom. That, that, that God, you are the God. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are the King. And God, we are going to just look to you. And that you, God, are going to lead us through this. We are going to rise up as your people. We are going to lay aside our complacency, our apathy, our lethargy spiritually. And we are going to get committed, Lord. We are going to get committed once and for all. And if we are committed, we're going to stay committed, Lord, because it is not the time in history. It is not the time for the church to lay down and to be complacent. It is time for the church to rise up, to be strong, to march out in your light and in your love to a world that needs to still hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us, Lord, the peace. Give us the hope. Give us the love that we can share with others. And God will give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, God bless you. Have a great summer. See you in August.